In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. And so God, in his power, in his might, in his wisdom, formed it and filled it. And you remember how his voice echoed out over each of those first six days, let there be, and there was, and it was good, and it was all very good. But when you look back on the days of creation, there are many things that cause us to wonder, one of which is this, that before God made the sun and the moon and the stars, he created light. Day one, the light, and day four, the sun and the moon and the stars. And so there was somehow, some way, beyond our imagination, although some of you have very good imaginations, but beyond our knowledge, there was light without a sun and a moon and a star. But God wanted there to be order to his world, and so he created that sun and moon and stars, and it says in the book of Genesis that these things were made to give times and seasons. And so we have times and seasons when the days are getting longer and when the days are getting shorter. And the lesser lights, the moon and the stars, rule over the night, it says, and the greater light, the sun, rules over the day. Now I start that way because I think it's a helpful analogy for us in thinking about our church year. There are greater lights and there are lesser lights, but all of them, all of them show us the light of the one who is truly the Son of God. And so we have these kind of festival days, right? Our, our times are ordered, our seasons run according to the pattern of Christ's life. We have the big days, right? Like the sunshine. We have Christmas and we have Easter and we have Pentecost. And then we have scattered in there the lesser days, which are like, if you will, this morning, the constellations of the night. I don't know how many of you are stargazers. Maybe some of you are. I'm not much of a stargazer. I like to sleep at night, and so I don't pay much attention to the stars. But every once in a while, every once in a while, I do. And it's a great joy, isn't it, to look out at the stars and see order to them, to see the Big Dipper, which is the only constellation that I actually ever recognize, (laughs) but to see all these other lights that are shining out with that same created light that shines on us during the day. It brings beauty to the night. These little sparkling stars bring beauty to the night. This is the way I want you to think of this festival day, St. Michael and all the angels. It's like a constellation in the night sky. It's a constellation set out for us by the church so that we might have a time here as the fall begins to be called out of our normal order to be called out of the long green season and to come into the church and see white on the altar and to see a book being carried out into the middle of the congregation and to see and hear the praises of God's people swelling up a little bit louder than normal. The angels and St. Michael, as the chief representative of all the angels, are like these stars. They show you something of the light of Christ himself. And we could say, well, we don't need to pay attention to that because we have Jesus, right? We have the sun. We don't need to pay attention to the stars. But God has created his world with more wonders and more beauty than we possibly could need. And this is how the angels are in some small way. When you look at the angels and when you hear about the ministry of the angels, you are seeing some refraction or some kind of a reflection of the light of Christ himself. It's kind of like this. It's like in the days of old when Solomon was the king of Israel. 
And Solomon was this great and wise and wonderful king. And when visitors from other nations would come to see Solomon's kingdom, do you know what they paid attention to? Sure, they asked Solomon and spoke to Solomon about his wisdom, but they noticed how ordered his whole kingdom was. And they wondered and they were in awe that this kingdom was set in perfect order. The king's wisdom was shared by his servants. That's the point. And isn't that the way it is with the angels? The glory of Jesus is shared in his angels. The power of Jesus is shared in his angels. And so it is with you. For Christ is not only glorious in himself, and he is not only glorious in his angels, but he is also glorious in his saints. Now, you might say, well, but we are dim lights, and that's true. None of us are so bright as St. Michael. None of us are so bright as St. Gabriel. But each of us, like little stars shining in this world, do shine the light of Christ into a dark world. And so today we remember the angels. We pay attention to those stars in the night that oftentimes we don't think anything about. We pay attention to the angels, and we see in them in the power, in the obedience, in the victory, and in the humility even of the angels, we see something of our Lord Jesus. So first, notice the angels' power. You heard it this way in the psalm, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones. And truly, if that was the case of anything in creation, if there is any might and any power in God's creation, then surely the angels have it in spades. Look at what happened when an angel visited Daniel. He set himself trembling. And even once the angel said, listen, Daniel, you don't have to be afraid. Stand up. I've come to help you. Even still, Daniel, in the presence of the angel, was overcome with fear. And so he stood up, but he kept on shaking. See, angels aren't the stuff of little cherubs. They're not little cute children like we see so often in the art. Angels are powerful. They are mighty. They are glorious. And when they visit men, when they visit men and women throughout Scripture, do you know what the response always is? It is fear and trembling. And then it is this message of the angel always, fear not. Fear not, said the angels to the shepherds, for behold, unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Fear not, said the angel Gabriel to Mary, for you will conceive and the child in your womb shall be called holy, the Son of God. Fear not, the angels always say, because if they didn't, none of us could stand in their presence. They are truly the mighty ones. And yet the psalm that we heard this morning goes on. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones, who do his word and obey the voice of his word. Here is a wonderful example for us to follow in the angels, that though they are powerful and mighty, still they are obedient. Now just think of that wonder of that word, obedience. Obedience is usually something that um, none of us are going to volunteer for, right? Obedience school, that's what you send your dog to, right? None of us need to go to obedience school. In fact, it's better, we think. It's more mighty and more powerful if we don't obey, if we rebel. That's the sign of the mighty ones of our times, isn't it? Those who can resist the normal path, those who can go outside of the normal boundaries, those who choose their own way and follow it, that's the ones who are mighty. The angels correct us. 
don't they? For it is the joy and the delight of the angels not to do their own will, not to sit up in heaven and say, what should I do today with all my power and all my might? But the angels always wait on the word of the Lord and rejoice to do his will. Here is a good example for us to follow. If you want to shine like the angels, well, you aren't going to do it by having the same power and might as they are. Angels are created in a different way than humans are. You're not going to become an angel someday, but you can become like the angels. In fact, Jesus insists that in the resurrection, we will be like them, not that we will have wings like they do, not that we will float on clouds, as I'm not even sure the angels do, not that we will be wispy figures in the resurrection. No, we will be much more solid, but we will be obedient like them, and it will be our joy to be obedient. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine rejoicing to obey? Usually when I speak of obedience with my kids or with anyone, right, we grit our teeth and say, well, if I have to, I guess I'll clean my bedroom. Well, if I have to, I guess I'll show up at that time for that thing. Well, if I have to, I guess I'll do it. But imagine if you rejoiced to obey. Imagine if you heard God's commandments and instead of saying, oh, do I have to? Can I do my own thing? Imagine if you heard God's commandment to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, and you said, yes, Lord, let it be my delight. Imagine if you heard his commandment that says, thou shalt not commit adultery, and you said, oh, oh, what a joy that would be. Here is the pleasure that God presents to us in his holy angels, for they are mighty and powerful, but they obey at the same time. The angels are also mighty warriors, aren't they? You can hear that, especially in the Revelation passage. The angels are the conquerors, and St. Michael, as the leader of the angels, as the captain of their army, portrays this for us so powerfully. The angels are mighty warriors who threw Satan and all of his demons out of heaven, who banished him. They're heaven's bouncers, okay? They kicked him out. They said, there's no place for you here anymore. Be gone. And the devil had to obey. But I want you to notice how they carry out their warfare. For just like they are examples to you of joyful obedience, the angels are examples to you of how to conquer in the fight. You want to win, don't you? My goodness, people, do we want to win or do we want to lose? I want to win. If I am going to play a game, I want to win every single time. My children have inherited this to me, and it's to my great shame. Because when they don't win, they complain. But the church should want to win. And Christ Jesus says that you will. But you must carry out the warfare in the right way. For all of their power, for all of their might, did you notice what the angels used to defeat the devil? What was it that St. Michael and his legions cast Satan out of heaven with? Was it their own great power? Did he use his strong right arm? Did he use his majestic wings? Did he use the power of his visage or something like that? No, St. Michael used, if you will, borrowed weapons. He used the blood of the lamb it says, and he used the word of the testimony, that is the word of the witness about Jesus. The angels did not defeat the devil and his minions with their own might. They borrowed everything from Jesus. And so it goes for the church. If you want to win in the fight, and you should, 
If you want to win, then don't rely on yourself and your own power and your own strength and your own wisdom. Learn to be like the angels. Learn to fight like St. Michael and whoever else is in his army. Learn to fight with the borrowed weapons of the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Because against those things, the devil cannot stand. How does that work, right? Well, just think. The devil attacks, not with his own power, but it says in Revelation, he is the accuser and the deceiver. He is the accuser and he is the deceiver. And so the weapons that Christ has given to his church, the weapons that the angels used in that war in heaven, are somehow related to the accusations and the deceit of the devil. The accusations of the devil are answered by the blood of the lamb. Do you know how? They are answered by the blood of the lamb because there is an answer for your guilt. There is an answer for your shame. When the devil brings a charge against you, right, you can picture this as like a courtroom. When the devil brings a charge into heaven, or when he used to, the evidence would all be laid out. And if we were judging things according to the evidence, what would the verdict be on each one of us? Guilty. It would do no good to say, well, well, I only did that, I only said that because, you know, that's the way I was raised. It's just the way my parents taught me to handle conflict. No excuse is good in the court of heaven. There is no pleading ignorance. There is no pleading, well, it's just my own weakness. If we went according to the evidence, the verdict would always be guilty. But here is where the blood of the lamb is put forward. Your defense is not that you are innocent. Your defense is not that you are cute. Your defense is not that, oh, well, I couldn't help myself. Your defense must always be this, that there is one who has shed his blood in my place. There is one who has borne the guilt that my sin deserves. There is one who has taken upon himself the verdict of my own sinfulness. He has died in my place. His blood has been spilled for me. Here is how you should think every time you come to this altar and receive the blood of the lamb on your lips. You should think of it this way, as the blood that cleanses you of all guilt, as the blood that answers the accusations of the devil, that says to you, though you are guilty, yet you are forgiven. For the Son of God has shed his blood for me. Secondly, the angels show us how to fight against the deceit of the devil. It says there that Michael and his angels fought not only with the blood of the lamb, but they fought with the word of their testimony. It is the tactic of the evil one. It is the tactic of the devil to deceive. And my goodness, he's good at it. He has all kinds of ways in which he would try to deceive us, to trick us in this way or in that way, to lead us astray just a little bit here and just a little bit there and just a little bit in this place and just a little bit in that place. But in all of them, in all of them, there is this common core ingredient that he wants to lead you astray from God's holy word. You can think of how that's happening in our world right now. Look at how the devil would want to redefine all of the things that God has created. He wants to redefine what it means to be a man or a woman. He wants to redefine what it means to be married. These are just two examples. He wants to redefine when life begins. And if he can get away with that, well, then there's all kinds of havoc that's created in the wake. There's all kinds of pain. There's all kinds of terrible stuff that follows after that. Well, how do you fight against that? How do you, defi- how do you fight against all kinds of deceit? 
by holding fast to the word of truth, by holding fast to the testimony of who Jesus is and what he has done. See, sometimes Christians get this idea that, well, we can believe about Jesus as long as we have the truth about Jesus. It doesn't matter what happens in the rest of the world. But isn't part of the truth about Jesus that he created man in the beginning, that he made them male and female? And isn't it part of the truth about Jesus that he created marriage to be man and woman, that he intended it to be this way? It won't do for us to say, just keep my doctrine pure, and the rest of things can go as they will. No, we want all of Christ for all of life. We want to hold fast to the word of the truth in every place, in our homes, in our churches, and in the world around us. Because if we don't, well, we will be led astray into all kinds of painful things. But if we hold fast to the word of truth, if we hold fast to the blood of the lamb, well, the same victory that the angels had there in heaven will also come here on earth. It's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? That the devil is thrown down from heaven to earth. Sure, it's good up there in heaven, but that makes it kind of rough down here on earth. Did you notice that? Rejoice, O heavens, but woe to the earth. And I kind of want to hold up my hand and say, hey, St. Michael, could you have maybe emptied the trash somewhere else? Could you have sent him somewhere else? But notice the last word of that reading. His time is very short. The devil's time is short. It seems long. It seems to us like it's lasting forever and ever and ever. But hold fast to this promise. His time is short, and you have the weapons that overcome him. Finally, the angels are examples for us of humility. Though they are mighty, though they are great warriors, they are also humble. And this goes very much along with what I said before about obedience. But I want you to notice the humility of the angels so that you can also learn to be humble like them. Imagine this scenario, right? Imagine all of the angels out around the throne of God, and God's giving them assignments, right? So Gabriel, you're going to be the messenger who announces the incarnation of the Lord. And Michael, you're going to be the one who gets to throw the dragon out of heaven. And then you over there, angel number 12, you are going to be assigned to watch over this little child. Oh, well, what happened to the other assignments? Couldn't I do something big and important? Couldn't I do something, you know, more like Gabriel or more like Michael? It is a humble thing to serve little ones. But Jesus says this is what the angels do. Did you notice in the very last verse of our gospel reading, Jesus says, they're angels, the angels of the little children, as if the little children owned these angels. Their angels always see the face of the Father. This is where we get the idea of guardian angels from these words of Jesus, that he has assigned angels to watch over even the littlest person in this room. Imagine being the angel who was tasked with watching over you. (laughs) Do you think the angels rejoiced at that? Well, they did, because it is their joy, it is their joy to serve the Lord however he directs them. Yes, they are mighty, yes, they are powerful, but they rejoice to take even the lowliest of tasks. To guard even the lowliest of the saints is the joy of the angels. How could it be otherwise with us? Yes, there are many who would like to say, I'll do great things for Christ, 
But how many would say, I want to do little things for him? Learn to be faithful in the little things. Humble yourself before you are put to some great task for Christ Jesus. Before you take your place as the leader of some wonderful mission, learn to fulfill the least of the things. And then maybe you'll be useful. Then maybe you'll learn to be humble like the angels. After all, it was Christ himself who was the great humble one. In the angels, we see a reflection of the light of Jesus Christ. In their power, we see just a glimmer of the power of Jesus. In their victory, we see just a glimmer of the victory of Jesus. And even in their great humility, we see just a glimmer of the humility of Jesus, who just before he said that their angels always see the Father, also said, whoever receives one such child in my name also receives me. Can you imagine Jesus joining himself so closely to you that anyone who receives you also receives Jesus? Could you imagine the Lord of the universe who was there at creation, who spoke and it came to be, saying, I'm going to unite myself to this little tiny child. Why would he do that? Doesn't he have bigger, more important things to do? The answer is yes and no. (laughs) Of course he has bigger, more important things to do, but it is the joy of our Lord to humble himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, and now to humble himself, to join himself to us. This is what happens in holy baptism. We are baptized into Christ. This is what happens in the Lord's Supper. We take and eat his own body and blood so that he might be joined as close to us as we are to ourselves. Talk about mighty Talk about victorious. Talk about humble. And we're not just talking about angels. We're talking about Jesus. So take their example well. Take the gift of the angels given for you and let it be your example as well, that you may be mighty in obedience like them, that you may be mighty in warfare like them, and that you may be mighty in humility like them. To Christ be the glory now and always. Amen.